If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Galatians chapter 6. Last week, we talked about thankfulness. We talked about how thankfulness, I, I feel surprisingly enough, is not one of the fruits of the Spirit specifically named in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, but that thankfulness throughout Scripture is usually a choice that you make. And so last week we talked about what that's like, how we can make the choice to be thankful. And, and sometimes it's just taking the time to look at our lives and realize how much we have to be thankful for. Amen? It's easy to be thankful when everything's good, right? It's difficult sometimes to be thankful when things are not so good, but that God can use both of them to refine and mature and bless us. Amen? I am who I am today because of all of the experiences that God used to make me who I am, right? Even when Satan saw fit to harm me, God saw fit to bless me. You understand? To be with me during that time, to, to, to refine me during that time, to get me through that time, and to give me testimony to bless you now maybe as you go through that exact same thing. Thankfulness is simply a perspective that we choose that in turn affects our hearts and from out of our heart flow words and actions that either are a source of life or death. When our heart is full of thankfulness, though, it's life. We choose literally. We can be either critical complainers or encouraging worshipers. Thankfulness affects our actions. It affects our words, which thus in turn affect our relationships. And so we demonstrate thankfulness in the way that we speak. How many of you are excited about Thursday? Oh, wow, y'all's families. So I'm either full of a room full of people with some interesting family members, or I'm full, or I'm in a room full of the interesting family members. Which one, which one is it? Oh, man. Have you ever felt like anybody in your family was difficult? No, ne ne never once. Oh, it's you. I get that. I get that. I, I've sometimes been the one where I was like, I don't, I think our family's perfect. Well, that's because you're the problem. You don't realize it yet. That, that's me. You're going to be speaking a lot of things this week or not saying anything at all, right? You have opportunity. Thanksgiving Day for the believer is not just a holiday on the calendar. It's not just a day off. It's not an opportunity just to get together and have food with family. Like, God is sending you in there. Oh, man, don't, don't, this isn't a wait, okay? This, this is freedom. God is sending you in there as a minister. And you're going to speak from a heart of thankfulness. Listen, sometimes, may, may, sometimes maybe it's too difficult to look at your life as it is right now. Maybe there are a lot of challenges, and God is slowly revealing to you the blessing and the refining that he's doing during that time. And so maybe right now it's difficult for you to look at your life and go, wow, I'm, I'm really thankful for this time. Like, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm trying to be, but it's really difficult right now. But on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, and it was the emblem of suffering. 
and shame. But I love that old cross. Where the nearest and best in a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cling to the old rugged cross. There's always Jesus. There's always Jesus. I know we ain't as excited that it's always, it is, at least it's always Jesus, right? We're not as excited about that, right? I want it to manifest in other ways, clearly, right? Is, there's always Jesus, church. I feel like, pastor, that you push us sometimes to praise when we don't want to. You're right. I apologize. But I ain't going to stop. Listen, listen, I, I am, I, me too. I'm not pushing you or putting you through anything I'm not putting myself through. I read the story of David stripping down to his underwear in the street because his God was worthy of praise to the point that he was rebuked at how inappropriate it was for him to dance that way. And I think to myself, my God, I know you and your son Jesus, and there's not a moment anyone could say that about me. Like, who am I to pastor these people and to lead this church when we have to work up to thankful? Life and, and Satan and your flesh, they don't want God to be praised ever. I heard something so simple this week, yet so profound. This person said this statement, if you're waiting for everything in your life to line up for you to do what you know you need to do, you'll never do anything. And that's so worldly and humanistic, but there's, there's nothing new under the sun. And so what I did was I took that thought captive, made it obedient to Christ, and I thought to myself, if you're waiting for your life to be a perfect situation of praise, you'll never cry out. It's something that we do anyway. Amen? How many of you, okay, so this is a lot of people don't want to get up and go to work in the morning. But you do it because whether you want to or not, right? This is my life. This is what I have to do to get what I need to be able to live. And so it doesn't matter whether I want to or not. I have to get up. Listen, we're not even talking about something as painful and as awful as work, right? We're talking about a life-giving Savior that in every single second that you're on this earth, nothing could be going right, but he is still on his throne. And so I'm going to push you to recognize that and realize that in the moments when it's the most difficult because it's in those moments when he's the most deserving of praise because you still stand. Listen, church, we're not non-denominational because we can't figure out what the Bible's saying. We're non-denominational because we want to, at the end of the day, be obedient to God in Christ. 
And we're not here to align ourselves with way of, no, it has nothing to do. What I recognize, though, is I still feel the denominational weight on my heart sometimes when it comes to worshiping and allowing God to have all of me. And some of you, that's what you're dealing with. And praise the name of Jesus that he's given you an opportunity to break loose from that shackle. Amen? Paul Paul, God writes some amazing words about praise in Scripture. And what's so powerful about so many of these words that we find in Scripture is that within them, there's a particular heart and a particular perspective that God demands when we come before him. Psalm 95, 1 through 2, oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Psalm 100, we read this one last week. Enter his gates with and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness or his love is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. This, this, I don't, <laughs> these are the types of scripture that I'm honest, if I'm honest with you, I'm the most thankful for God's grace. Because I don't believe anywhere in all of eternity God is ever just shooting the breeze. I believe that when God speaks, God means what he speaks. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, verse 16, rejoice always. What would your word be? Rejoice. Sometimes. What would your word be? You don't have to. You don't have to tell me. Just I want you to think through. Th this matters. The Bible doesn't say that the person who goes to God's word occasionally and considers it says he who meditates day and night. And when you think about what God is saying, it makes sense why it would require such attention, right? Rejoice. When? How often? Ooh. I told you this story not too long ago about how I was working on the brakes in my garage. It wasn't going well. It wouldn't have mattered if it was going well. I would have inevitably hit my knuckle or done, I would have dropped a socket. There are people dying from hunger, but I dropped a socket, God. Anyway, it went bad, but then it finally was done and was technically basically good, right? And I remember I made the comment, you know what I want to do? Once I retire, I'm going to just open up my garage and do, you know, oil changes, brake jobs, alternators, radio. I'm just going to do all that. I just love it. I'm going to do it. My daughter-in-law, fresh in the family, redhead, Irish, says whatever she thinks. Why would you ever do something like that? You can't handle anything. 
So I'm not doing that. <laughs> but it's, I just want you to see, like, that's who we are, right? Like, it's, it's, it's something for all of us. But the, but the goal is rejoice always. Can, can, can you succeed at that? I don't, I don't think I can. You know, you, you, you understand now why so often in my messages we end up amazing grace and we sing. Like, you, do you understand grace? What, you, do you get it? God demands perfection. You pursue it, but you will fall short. Here's something I want to say, and I want to be careful because I don't want you to feel any sort of shame or guilt. It, it's, it's, not a, it's not a, well, I'm just who I am. I'm going to stay here, and so amazing grace. No, 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 no. You, you strive for whatever God commands. And when you fall short, not if, when you fall short, amazing grace. God wants us to sit with the weight of rejoice always. And what I love about God is that nothing's flippant in his word. Everything depends on the next thing and the thing after it and the thing before it and the thing all around it. Rejoice always. I can't. I don't This is a pray without ceasing. You're right, but I can through you. Are you in communion with me? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. What comes from that place of worship is verse 18. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So God wants me to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in all things give thanks. Yeah. This is his will for you in Christ Jesus. So you're telling me, you're telling me, Then at the end of my life, when I stand before Christ, whether or not my life exalted and glorified him is all God cares about. Yes. That's it. He's not going to have you bring a statement from your bank or your resume. The only qualification that will be considered is, what did you do with my son Jesus? And was there fruit that proved it? And that fruit is rejoice always. You're going to fall short. Amazing grace. Don't forget. Pray without ceasing. You're going to do some things other than praying sometimes. Amazing grace. But that's the goal. Amen. I'm going to give thanks in all things. It is well, it is well with my soul. You see how it works? You're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes. I'm not telling you leave here, make a list, and you better get perfect or something's going to. No, but you're going to strive to, with everything, exalt God. And relationship should be happening. And as relationship happens, out of that heart flows thankfulness. And it's not just about thankfulness that you be blessed. Do you understand this? 
It's about the impact that thankfulness and a heart that is thankful has on you and on everyone else. Thankful people act thankful. Amen? One of the ways that we do that is by serving others. Just start simply. Get involved and do something. Allow God to use you. God's not trying to use you just to be happy. God is try- You are a cup full of a liquid, and God is trying to pour you out so that when you get to the end of your life, there's nothing left. Does your life reflect that? Don't answer. Meditate on that. Go before the Lord. God, that I might be a drink offering that you might use to your glory and as you see fit. Amen, church. Serving your brothers and sisters in Christ is a great place to start. There's a story about a man named D.L. Moody. At the time that he lived, he was arguably the, the most famous, the only famous, and the first famous evangelist ever. He was before Billy Sunday. I don't even know who that is. Y'all, mo- he was before Billy Graham. Jimmy Swaggart. I mean, he was the first that people would have considered to be famous. He would do these Bible conferences, and people would come from all over the world. And he had one in Massachusetts in the 1800s. And a lot of folks came over from European countries. And as was their custom, each night they would go into their bedrooms to sleep, and they would put their shoes outside of the door. In Europe, the custom was that the hall servants would come through the halls in the night and would polish everyone's shoes. They didn't have that in Massachusetts. Walking the dormitory halls that night, D.L. Moody saw the shoes and determined not to embarrass his brothers. Think about that for a minute. I mean, you, you could... You could arguably come up with a, with a pretty good discussion that putting your shoes out in the hall and expecting someone to come and polish them while you slip, that's kind of arrogant. What a prideful thing. As a matter of fact, we're not going to clean your shoes. We're going to take them and throw them out in the snow, and then we're going to rub them on the asphalt, bring them back to you, put them in there, and th- that's what you get. You need to show a little humility. You could, you could argue that, maybe. Not that extreme. That's dramatic, but that's what I do. But what's interesting is D.L. Moody not wanting them to wake up and be embarrassed. It never occurred to him to think, you know, what, what kind of heart thinks that their shoe are? He's just like, look, I don't want them to wake up in the morning and be like, oh, I, I, I didn't know. It feels stupid. And that simple thought was enough for him to do what he did. So he goes and gets some of his ministerial students And all of them, for many different reasons, turned him down and had an excuse as to why they couldn't help. And so D.L. Moody returned to the dorm. He got all the shoes, sat alone in his room, and the only at the time famous evangelist in all the world cleaned and polished every pair of shoe so that when those people woke up in the morning and went out and found their shoes, they would be exactly as they expected them to be. When the foreign visitors opened their doors the next morning, their shoes were shined. They never knew by whom, because Moody told no one, but one of his friends who knew what he did told a few people, and during the rest of the conference, different men volunteered to shine the shoes in secret. 
Perhaps the episode is a vital insight into why God used D.L. Moody as he did. He was a man with a servant's heart, and that was the basis, listen, of his true greatness. Have you ever did something for someone that you didn't want to do? Maybe someone you thought, they don't, this, this is the last thing they deserve. And did it in secret. How about this? Have you ever done something for somebody and wanted badly to tell someone that you did it? That's your flesh, isn't it? I want people to know. So that while, while they're knowing, I can stand there like this. It was nothing. Pride looks a lot of different ways. At the end of the day, we're called to serve, whether we get credit for it or not. And here's something that I want you to understand as we're reading Galatians 6 right quick. It isn't about what people know about you. It's about what people know about Christ. Whether your name is ever mentioned or not, Galatians 6, 6 through 10, the one who has taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. That's important, too. Accountability, discipleship, ministry, it doesn't flow from up to down. It flows every which way. I'm going to tell you a story I've never told anybody but my wife. I played in a golf tournament some years ago. And while I was playing in that golf tournament, there was an individual who was there and uh, let's just say life hadn't gone the way they thought it was going to go. And they had encountered and experienced and probably still to some degree, even that day, felt some of the ramifications of how their life had gone. I'm sure there was some discouragement there. And when I saw that person and recognized them, I went up to them and I told them, I called them by name. They had no idea who I was, which that, 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 I love that good. This is going to go exactly how I want it to because it's not about you knowing me. I said, when I was a young kid, I was about 13 years old, I went to a Christian camp. And I knew at that moment that God called me into to ministry, and it was a result of your ministry. And I'm still pastoring a church to this day. And I just wanted to tell you thank you. This, this person stood there like this. You know how sometimes you need God to punch you in the face, and then when he does... There's no sting. It's just this realization that God has been with me the whole time. God does still love me. All of the setback is not evidence of his hand having been removed from my life. There are still people. Out. If I just keep moving forward, keep plowing the field, keep trusting God, God will still use me. Amen? It flows every which away. And so Paul says, when, you, when God does good things, go share it with the person who taught you. They probably need that encouragement. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. 
let us not lose heart in doing good. This idea of we're not reaping to the flesh, we're sowing to the flesh, we're sowing to the Spirit. So let us not grow weary or lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Verse 10, so then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Here's a great question. Why are we always trying to get people to serve each other and to give, not just financially, that is so small a component of what God wants to do to, through you. Why are we trying to give people to give of their time, their talents, their, their resources? It's because, number one, you reap what you sow. This verse isn't about what some of us have been taught to believe that it's about. If you work hard, then you'll be blessed and you'll receive a return. And you'll, that's, that's not always true. I know people who have worked their fingers to the bone their entire life and they can't pay their bills. It's not about hard work necessarily. That can produce some things for some people, but not for, that's not universally true for everyone, right? There are, did you know that there are unsolved crimes in the United States and in the entire world? There are crimes that have not been solved. All bad people do not get punished. You don't always reap what you sow, literally. That's because this has nothing to do with that. It's, it's misused a lot of times, just like Philippians 4.13 is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to tell you something right now. This is the same example I use every time. If you jump out of an airplane without a parachute and you just say, don't worry, bro, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, we're coming to your funeral. There ain't no amount of Jesus going to have you float softly to the ground. You're going to die. It doesn't matter how good you are at a sport. Anyone in this room, you can pad up right now, and you can say, I can do all things through Christ who should, and the punter on the Atlanta Falcons will put you in the hospital. It don't matter. That's because that's not what that's about. That scripture says, I can endure all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's the idea that regardless of what happens in my life, I am still blessed because God's presence, because he's with me, and he will give me the strength to get through this. The same is true about this. This is about a spiritual sowing. If you sow into the kingdom of God, you're not going to just reap a little heart. You're going to reap a hundredfold what you sow into the kingdom of God. This is about sowing into relationship with Christ. This is about serving the body of Christ and reaping out of it some of the most amazing spiritual benefits you can ever imagine. But there's also some simple stuff, too. You got my back, I got your back. I don't know about you. You see, I'm thinking through how I want to say this. I don't want to, to uh, offend anyone, but when I, when I served in the Navy, like, that was a camaraderie that's hard to find. What, what's crazy about it is that we didn't necessarily all even like each other. Any veterans in the room? You don't like everybody you serve with, do you? As a matter of fact, there's a specific list of people that, you know what? what I mean, what if my gun, I tripped? <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
That really, that's terrible. But the point, the, point, the point is, there was something bigger than us that united us and brought, there was a cause that was bigger than any one of our particular likes or dislikes, and it unified us. And that thing is a dying nothing if you, if you consider Christ. Does that mean, so you're telling me, Pastor, that if I, that if I get involved in the church, church and I start serving, that I'm going to have some of the most, so the most impactful relationships I've ever experienced in my life? Yes. Like, we're always going to treat each other awesome, but no, whoa, don't go, easy. People going people, amen? People going people. But it'll be some of the folks that you can depend on, who will have your back, who will serve with you, but not just serve with you. They will, they will love you, and they will encourage you. Amen? As we close this morning, we have some things that we really need to think about. Because serving isn't just about knowing someone's got your back and just the encouragement of knowing that there are people who are like-minded who are with you. And listen, it's going to take some time. Like the world is conditioning us to not have any face-to-face contact. And you, whether you're a conspiracy theorist and you think that's a plan by someone who goes, <laughs> in a room, or if you think it's just naturally happening, it doesn't matter. It's happening. Have you ever, have you ever taught, listen, this is not a knock on the young people because I believe in them. I am 100% sure they will step fully into what God has called them to be, and they will be the people that God is going to raise them up to be. I 100% believe that. However, it's going to take some serious commitment on our part because they're not as socially comfortable as we are. I went and talked to this person behind the counter the other day. They were about 17 years old. I, we got to know each other, and I asked them. It was, was kind of like talking to a machine. There was no vocal inflection. There was no emotion. We're, there's, a, there's a generation of folks that their most significant interactions are happening digitally. The church can't afford to be idle right now. Do you hear me? I'm going to say something, and I mean this with absolute love. Get over yourself. God needs you. To mobilize. Yeah. You're scared to, you, I don't know if I want to be on his side or not. Let's just look around the room and see how everybody, who cares if at the end of the day you're all by yourself? Jesus was, and he was still faithful. God's not calling you to be popular. God's not calling you to have a bunch of friends. God's calling you to be faithful and obedient and submit to his will, and he will use you mightily, and there's a chance that at the end of it you'll be all by yourself. Highly unlikely, though, because he never fails, and the bride of Christ belongs to him. Would you stand this morning? Generations Church exists to build generations of followers of Jesus Christ. And contrary to what you may think just from looking around, it's not because a bunch of babies are being born. Like, that's not our plan. Look, everybody just mate and have babies, and then we'll have disciples. No. I mean, we're, we're committed to pouring into the lives of those young people that they might become the men and women of God that he desires that they become. But that's not the plan. 
It's through authentic discipleship. And the only way that happens is through relationship. And thankful disciples are disciple-making machines. Some of us need to stop and begin to, God, oh man, this is the most difficult thing because I just feel funky. But I'm re- I want to rejoice right now in how good you are. God, I just want to have this time of fellowship with you that you might hear from my mouth how thankful I am that Christ came into the world and saved me when literally nothing else could. And I got, and God, I'm just thankful this morning. And I want it to just pour out of me. I want it to just ooze out of me all over everyone that I come in contact with. Thankful disciples are disciple-making machines. That's Christ's plan. That's Generation Church's plan for building generations of disciples. Not just so that we can sit here and be happy and thankful together, but so that the whole county and the whole world might be blessed. Amen? Father God, this morning, we praise you. And we're thankful for what you're doing in our lives. You know, for some of us, God, If we start taking this seriously, we're going to have to have some difficult conversations with some folks in our lives, and it's going to change our life. And at the end of the day, sometimes I look at that, and I look at those relationships, and I think, "Ah, I don't know that it's worth it. I'd rather be happy now. I'd rather be comfortable now. I'd rather be at peace now. But God, I realize that that's not why you came, not to deliver the peace that eliminates confrontation, but to deliver the peace that delivers the world. And it might have to come through confrontation. So, God, whatever it is you're doing in this, in this room right now, God, whatever, whatever it requires of me that I might demonstrate thankfulness, God, I want to begin walking forward in that faithfully. And it might be confrontational or it might be the simplest, most awesome. Thing. Either way, I'm going to praise your name. And, God, when I'm dealing with the temptation of being critical or complaining, God, there's not a scripture in the entire Bible that says through criticism and complaining, God does his work. That literally is the opposite of what happens. And God, sometimes we struggle with that temptation. But Father, we rebuke that in the mighty name of Jesus. And from us, may we pour pour forth praise. May we pour forth encouragement. May we lift up. When people hear us speak and live and act, may they be blessed and may you be glorified. God, we are thankful this morning, and the season has nothing to do with it. There is but one season, and it belongs to you. It is our worship reserved for you and you alone. Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.